We'll ask you to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 will begin a brand new series here going verse by verse through the book of Galatians. A lot of rich truths in here that we'll be able to get to. And the title of our theme for this uh, book as well as the title for our message tonight is Living Life in the Liberty of Christ. And so uh, once you've found your place, if you'll stand in honor of God's word, we'll be reading Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul writes to several churches here that are in several cities in the region of Galatia, which would be modern day central Turkey is where Galatia was. And so there, these are real people, real Christians at real churches in a real place. And so Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Let me actually pick up in chapter 4, verse 31. It'll make a little bit more sense. He says this in chapter 4, verse 31. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And so what he's been talking about as he leads into chapter 5 is the way that, uh, that, that God designed for us not to be slaves, but to be sons. That's what he's talking about, children of God, as opposed to slaves to the law. And so with that in mind, we come to chapter 5, and he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. And we'll stop our reading there. You're thinking we're starting a new series. Why are we starting right smack in the middle of the book? Well, it's because this is, the, this is where Paul is wanting to get to, is chapter 5. And he's building a case from chapter 1 to chapter 4 to get to chapter 5. But really what our task is tonight is rather than even going verse by verse through this particular section, we're going to go through the entire book of Galatians and the flow of thought, and, and uh, that'll help us get started in this series as we consider living life in the liberty of Christ. So may God bless his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> when a person's been confined to a jail cell, the phrase, you are free to go, takes on a whole new meaning in their lives. I mean, if you think about it, they've lived several months, years, possibly even decades in a tiny little cell, being told where they can go, when they can go, how they can go, what they can eat, when they can eat. They might get to go outside every now and then, but vast majority of the time they're confined to that tiny little cell. But when the end of their sentence comes... That cell door is opened up. They're walked to the front desk and they collect their personal belongings and they take their steps out the front door, breathe in that fresh air and maybe just a little sigh of relief 
Then they go on in their newfound freedom. A special day for them. But what never makes sense to me is how when somebody who has been bound for so long, they finally get their freedom back. They're finally released. And they go out into their newfound freedom, but then they go right back to the same friends, the same habits, making the same decisions that actually end up leading them right back into bondage. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, spiritually speaking, that's why we have the book of Galatians. Because the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey led him to, and Barnabas, to the southern region of Galatia, to the cities of Antioch and Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, as well as Derbe. And there in those cities, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there were many Jews and there were many Gentiles there that had been uh, chained, shackled by the weight of their sin, by their religious system by their own self-righteousness and keeping the works of the law. And so they were, they were truly bound, spiritually speaking. But when Paul came through and he preached the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, their chains were broken when they believed on him. And they were unbound. They were freed from it. But what happened is that when Paul and Barnabas returned from their first missionary journey, they caught wind that a doctrine of Judaism had begun to make its way through the, the regions of Galatia and it had seeped into this church and this doctrine it turned into a movement that led them right out of their liberty that they had in Christ back into the bondage of the Old Testament law. And so Paul writes to them to remind them of the true gospel, as well as to challenge them to live their lives in the liberty of Jesus Christ. That's what we read in chapter five, verse one. He's telling them, don't go back into bondage. Stand fast in the liberty of Christ. Now, one man said this in, in interpreting this book. He said that to interpret the Bible requires the ability to study two horizons, the ancient horizon, as well as the modern horizon. And he says this, that it requires people who desire to bridge those contexts so that the ancient one speaks forcibly into the modern one. And so what the reason I bring that up is because as we look at this book, we're going to be looking at things that maybe we're not dealing with today. You know, we don't deal in our uh, churches here in the United States of America, we don't necessarily deal with issues like you have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. We don't deal with those kind of things. We don't deal with you have to keep these dietary laws if you're uh, really going to be accepted with God. And so we don't deal with those things. And so there's a tendency to look at the word of God and to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't see how it relates. But what we have to do is we have to take maybe these specific things that we don't deal with personally and bridge the gap to see how the overarching theme of what they were dealing with applies to the overarching themes of what we deal with today. And that's really our task as we look into the book of Galatians. And so in this introductory message, what we're going to do is really just give you a brief synopsis of the book and what they were dealing with in their churches and really what the Apostle Paul's solution was to this issue. And then we'll see how it's going to relate to our lives today. And as we go forward in 
this study. And so Paul is writing to the Galatians to address a specific issue that was going on in their churches pertaining to the gospel. And again, this is one of the uh, only books where you'll see that he writes to several churches. It's not just one particular church, but this was a movement that was sweeping through many churches right there in one small region there in Asia Minor. And so what was the issue they were dealing with? Well, you have these Galatian believers who are trying to figure out how to live a life that pleases God while they're living in a very licentious culture. They had lived under a very pagan culture and religious system that really gave them license and freedom to do anything and everything they wanted to find joy, fulfillment, and pleasure in life. No matter what it cost them, no matter what it cost somebody else, it was licentious, a license to do whatever you want. That's what their society was like. Well, now you've got these Galatian believers who have trusted in Jesus Christ. They've been pulled out of this culture and they trusted in the gospel that the apostle Paul had preached to them. What was the gospel that he preached? If you go back to Acts chapter 13, you'll see that when he came into this region, he had a very specific message for them. It was much more of a, 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 a Judaized situation there as well. There were a lot of Jews. And so when he came he preached to them that Christ was the appointed Savior to both Israel and the Gentiles and that he was coming to bring salvation to any who would come to him by faith apart from the works of the law. You're going to find that in Acts chapter 13, that he specifically deals with how you are justified by faith and not the works of the law. And so he basically preaches this, that salvation is apart from any human merit, that there's nothing you can do to earn your own salvation. And so now you've got these Galatian believers that have been pulled out of this very wicked, immoral, and godless uh, uh, society here. And now they've been told that they have liberty in Jesus Christ, that they've been freed from the works of the law. They've been freed from their sin and they have a whole new life. And so now where they are at is they're thinking, okay, we really want to please God. We want to uh, be acceptable in his sight, but it's very hard to be that way in this kind of culture in which we live. And so if we're not supposed to keep the works of the law and it's not by merit and not by our own fleshly works, then, then how can we be acceptable to God's sight and maintain that acceptance with God while also trying to live in this very wicked licentious culture? And so the issue that they're facing, it's born out of a sincere desire to please God. It's born out of that. Well, there was a faction of Judaism that was, uh, had just the right solution at just the right time for them. Because what they believed was that while you needed Jesus to be forgiven, you also had the pathway to pleasing God in a licentious culture was by becoming a Jew and by keeping the works of the law. The, all, the, all the dietary laws and ceremonies and even sacrifices at times and, and all those things. So what they would say is, yes, you need Jesus. You need him to be forgiven. You can't be forgiven without him. But the way you're going to please God in this kind of wicked culture is to keep the works of the law. We've got it right here. We've got the rules. We've got the regulations that you need to follow if you're going to really be acceptable with God. Now, I don't believe that they necessarily believed that salvation was by the works of the law. I do believe that they thought that you needed Christ 
and that faith in Christ was the means of salvation. Here's the reason why I say that. Because in general, when you talk about the Jewish people, they didn't believe they were saved because they kept the works of the law. They believed that they were saved because they were God's covenant people. They were Jews, that it was their nationality that made them God's chosen people, God's elect people. And so uh, the means of keeping the law was to maintain that and to stay acceptable and ceremonially clean before God. And so uh, you could even see it that when they, they knew when you mess up, when you break the law, you just go and you get a lamb and you come to the priest and you offer the atonement and then everything's right, everything's restored, everything's back in order. And so I don't think they necessarily believed that, that salvation was by the works of the law, but they believed that keeping the works of the law gave you a stronger position with God, a greater acceptance, greater privilege before him. And so they taught that the way to get saved is by faith in Christ, but the way you find acceptance with God is to keep the law, but it actually goes a little bit deeper. Because what we're going to see as we study the book of Galatians is the specific issues that the Apostle Paul deals with is circumcision, dietary laws, and keeping the holy days. And what you find as you read through the Old Testament law is that those three types of laws were the distinguishing marks between Jews and Gentiles. And so what it did is it drew a line of separation. And so what they were saying was, here's your problem. You're still over here in the Gentile world. That yes, you have Jesus Christ. That's great. That's wonderful. But if you really want to have a right standing with God, if you really want to be accepted, if you really want to have a privileged position, then you need to be circumcised and you need to become a Jewish proselyte and then keep the Old Testament law. And that's how you can please God while living in this disgusting culture. That's what they were teaching. Well, this seems like an okay solution and it seems to fit the bill because the Galatians already have Christ. And so that's great. So they're saying, okay, we already have Jesus. We don't want to live like we used to. And so now they've brought this and we can do this and we can find this greater privilege and position with God. And so it seems to make sense and it would separate them from that culture to be accepted with God. But while this may sound amenable, <laughs> the reality is, is that the gospel in their message has morphed into a completely different gospel altogether. It is a gospel that says this, Jesus is not enough. You need something on top of Jesus to find full acceptance with God. That's a totally, completely different gospel than the one that the Apostle Paul preached. And so what happens here is that they are being persuaded that they need something other than Christ to find full and complete acceptance with God. And so while this may be subtle, what it really is, is it's an all-out attack on the sufficiency of Christ. And that's really what prompts the Apostle Paul to write this what I'm going to say is a very intense and at times a very heated letter. He's eaten up with zeal. He's eaten up with passion so much that he will call them fools. He will say they are bewitched. I mean, just uses very strong language to communicate. This is not something you can't mess around with the gospel. And the problem here was that their false gospel diminished the sufficiency and thus the glory 
of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished at the cross. And so Paul strategically dissects this false gospel and he calls these believers to live their lives in the liberty of Christ. He starts in chapter one with establishing the fact that there's only one true gospel and it's the one that he had preached to them back when he was in their towns. He explains that this false gospel came, that the false gospel that the Jews were teaching here came from the mind of man. But his gospel came directly from the mind of God, that he didn't get it from the apostles. He didn't get it from any man. No, he spent time in the Arabian desert directly with the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving the gospel and the doctrines of the church and all those things. He didn't have those 40 days after Jesus' resurrection that all the other apostles had because he trusted Christ much later. And so Jesus came and taught him. So he's saying in chapter one that this didn't come from my own mind. Theirs came from their own mind, but this came from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what he's going to do is he moves into chapter two as he gives them examples about how the law played no role in his gospel. He talks about a young man named Titus and how he was not compelled to be circumcised in order to be even a pastor in the church. And then he's going to uh, talk about, uh, he alludes to the Jerusalem council where uh, he and Barnabas came down from Antioch to Jerusalem to meet with the other apostles. And there they determined that because the Gentiles received the same Holy Spirit that they received at salvation, that they did not need to be circumcised and compelled to keep the works of the law. And so he talks about that. And then he gives an, an example of how he had to withstand Peter to the face because he was to be blamed. What was he to be blamed for? He talks about how they were there in Antioch and they were uh, having maybe a fellowship type meal. And, and Paul and Peter and Barnabas, they were all sitting over here with the Gentiles. And then there were Jews that came up from Jerusalem with uh, James and they come. And, and as soon as they walk in the door, uh, Peter gets up and he says, oh, I can't be with the Gentiles. And so he goes to sit with the Jews. And Paul says, even Barnabas was carried away with them. And so they're, they're coming over here. And what they're doing again is they're drawing a line between the Jews and the Gentiles. And what they're putting off to the Gentiles is if you really want to be accepted with God, then you got to come over here to Judaism. And Paul says, I had to get in his face about it. <laughs> It was a little heated. It was a little argumentative, but he was to be blamed. It was wrong for him to do that. And then as he goes on in chapter two, he's going to uh, explain to them or really remind them that they were not justified by the works of the law, but by their own faith in Jesus Christ. And so he goes through the rest of chapter two about that. And chapter three is really where he begins to get into the issue here. I do want to read uh, verse number one and two and three of uh, chapter three. Look at this. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. What's he saying there? Well, he's saying, when I came and I preached the gospel to you, the only thing that I put in front of your eyes was the crucified Christ. That the only way to be saved was through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so then verse two, he says this, this only what I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What's this about? Well, when, you, when do you receive the Holy Spirit? When you get saved, when you trust in Jesus Christ. And so he's talking about their salvation experience. When did you receive the Holy Spirit or how did you receive the Holy Spirit? By the works of the law or by faith? Well, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is by faith. Now watch this in verse 3. 
Are ye so foolish, having begun in the spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? That word perfect means complete. It means full, like something was missing. Like they needed something else on top of what they got. And so here's what he's telling them is really this, that the teaching, the issue that they are dealing with is that these false teachers were teaching that Christ initiates acceptance with God and the works of the law finish it. The works of the law bring it to a fullness. They bring it to a completion. And so you really get to the issue here. All the justification by faith, what he's doing is he's building here. He's reminding them, you were saved by grace through faith. You received the spirit by faith. And so if you've been brought to this point by faith, why would God then make it where the works of the flesh take you the rest of the way? And so they were teaching that their salvation or their acceptance with God was incomplete. And so then in, in chapter 3, he shifts his argument to the fact that righteousness and acceptance with God uh, was, not by, uh, was always by faith and not by the works of the law, with Abraham being his prime example. As verse 6 says, even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so he tells them that. And then he explains in the rest of chapter 3 that the purpose of the law was not to bring salvation and acceptance with God, but the purpose of the law was really this, to reveal the fact that I am a sinner and I am incapable of keeping this law. I'm always having to go and offer a lamb because I can't keep my spiritual life straight for even a week. And so I'm always having to go back and do these sacrifices. And so the purpose of the law is to show you I am a sinner who needs a savior and Jesus is that Savior. And so once you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, he teaches that the law has served its purpose in your life and you've been set free from the law and now you are made a son of God. That's what he gets to. And so you, he talks about how you go from being a slave to being a son. Huge difference there. And then what happens is in chapter 4, he explains that when you come to faith in Christ, but you go back to the law, here's what you actually do. You reduce your position before God from a son back to a slave again. And so he says you're here and you're trying to, you're trying to find greater acceptance and, and greater privileged position with God. And so you're trying to be more accepted with God. And in trying to do that by the works of the law, you're lowering your position from a son to a slave. Now, it's not, not talking about losing your salvation. And that's not what he's talking about. And that's why I don't think this letter is about uh, necessarily salvation because the fact these are already believers and Paul believed in eternal security. So there's no reason to be concerned about them losing their salvation. What he's simply saying is this, in your search for greater position with God, you've actually lost position with God. You're not as close to him as you think you are. You're farther from him than you ought to be. And, he's, and he shows how Christ came to break you free from the law and to make you a free son rather than a bound slave. That's what uh, the end of, of chapter 4 is about, as we read in, in verse 31, that we're not... We're not uh, children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We're not slaves anymore. We're sons. And so here's really what he's getting at here is when you look to something other than Jesus Christ to find greater privilege, position, and acceptance with God, you actually lower yourself 
You go from being a son back to being a slave to the law. And so that's why when we come to chapter 5, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so what Paul is saying is that since, you, uh, since Christ has made you free, seeking fuller acceptance with God through the works of the law only serves to plunge you back into spiritual bondage again. And so Paul's message to the Galatians is this through the entire book. And I'm leaving part of it out because we're going to get to it later. But here's what he's saying is that when you think you need something other than Jesus Christ to give you a more privileged and accepted position with God, you believe in a false gospel that will plunge you into spiritual bondage. That's what his message is in this book. Now, maybe just to bring it to life a little bit, I wanted it to illustrate it. Yvonne, I'm going to ask you to come up and help me. I'm sure you're not doing anything back there anyways. So, so here's what's going on in... Uh, Galatia, these churches. Why don't you stand right here? So the Apostle Paul comes, hold all these for me. The Apostle Paul comes to Galatia and what he finds is there are people there that are bound by their sin, the wickedness of their culture, their self-righteousness, their religious system. These are man-written books. And so that's what those represent. And so he, he finds them, and this is their condition. They're loaded down. If he tried to take one hand, these are pretty heavy books, pretty big books. If he tried to take one hand off, they'd all fall, and he'd end up a mess. Mm -hmm. And so the apostle Paul came, and when he came, he was preaching the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, that you don't need your own works, your own self-righteousness, your religious system's not good enough. Uh, none of that's good enough, and your sin is a huge problem. But there's a Savior who came from Israel by the name of Jesus Christ, and he suffered and died on the cross of Calvary. And you can be saved if you will place your faith in him apart from any works of the law. So what the Apostle Paul did is he, he put the crucified Christ in front of them. And when they saw it, they believed. And when that happened, their sin was removed from them. And they were given the gospel. It's a little easier to handle, isn't it? A little bit lighter on him. But you know what? He can hold that in one hand. And he can do something else with his other hand. What does he do with his other hand? Serve God. <laughs> Be involved in the church. Love the Lord. A whole new life. And in fact, he could even put that book under his arm and still have Christ and have both hands freed up to serve God and do whatever God would want him to do. And so he had, he had the gospel. Now, what he's concerned about is okay, I have this gospel. I don't have to do good works to be saved. I have Jesus. But man, that stuff still is really appealing. And it's been a part of my life for a really long time. And what I'm concerned about me doing is setting the gospel down and taking all my sin back on me again. That's what they were worried about. These were new believers. Paul was run out of each and every one of these towns. He didn't have a long time to explain all the ins and outs of eternal security and all those things. He didn't have all that. And so they're struggling a little bit. And so that's what they're worried about. Okay, let me take those back. And so here's what happened. You had Jews come in. And these Jews said, you know what? I'm so thankful that you have Christ. 
the gospel is wonderful. I mean, he forgives our sins. He changes us. But I know that you're still looking at that stuff and you won't take your eye off of it. I know you still want it. I know you still pursue it. I know there's something, you're in this battle. You look at the gospel and you're like, I love this. And you look at that and you're like, boy, I, I know I still love that, but I can't do that. How, how do I hang on to this without picking that up again? And here's what they said. I've got just the right plan for you. See, here's, here's what you need. Yeah, the gospel is great. Jesus is great. And, and Jesus will get you partway there. But you also, if, if you'll be, will you hold that the wide ways? The wide way? There you go. If you'll, uh, on top of the gospel, if you'll be circumcised, that'll bring you, that'll bring you closer. And you know what? Circumcision is, isn't quite enough. There's also these dietary laws and, and, and you can, you, you can't eat bacon anymore. You can't eat pork chops. I mean, no bacon wrapped Smokies. You can't have any of Miss Hannah's of those anymore. Nope. nope, no more. And so there's that. And then also I want you to know there's these Sabbath days that you need to keep. Every Saturday, you need to make sure you don't do any work. You can't even go and pluck corn. You can't cook food. You can't do anything. Not on the Sabbath day. But let me also tell you, there's also this other day called Purim. That's a really cool feast celebration. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. There's also the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, oh, I've got more here for you. I've also got the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. That's a really fun one. Feast, uh, the, the Passover, Passover. You have to keep the Passover, okay? And in fact, you got to travel back to Jerusalem for the Passover. You can't do it where you're at. It won't count. Um, and then also, let me, let me tell you also about, um, oh, you got to wear this, this really long robe. It's really cool. <laughs> These are Pharisaical Jews, I tell you. They didn't just believe the Old Testament law. They believed the Mishnah and the Talmud and all of man's traditions and rules and regulations on top of that that we've talked a little bit about in the Gospel of Luke. And so you you got to wear this robe. You also need to have this little uh, this little headband that you wear that's got a little book of the law on there. And, and oh, also, you need to memorize the, the whole book of Deuteronomy. In fact, I probably ought to just... The whole book of Deuteronomy. I mean, it's huge, man. And so you, you, you memorize that. And, and I tell you what, if you'll, just, if you'll just add these things, and you know what? And here's just a few, a few other things on top, just in case that's, that, that's not enough. You really want to be accepted with God, you got to wash your hands before you eat. Oh, well, I do that already. Yeah. You, no, you don't. You're a Gentile. You're filthy and dirty. You need to be cleansed. And you got to wash your dishes before you eat, too. And so just make sure of that. And then um, also you need to, um, uh, 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 you need to uh, have these Jewish friends, too. Oh, church. Church is great. you got to have church. But church will only get you part way there. You need synagogue on Saturdays, too. Make sure you go to synagogues, okay? And so they come to them and... I'm not kidding. Here's what they're saying. The gospel down there, yeah, that's great. That, that'll get you partway there. But if you want to be perfect, you want to be complete, you want to be accepted with God, you want to be looked on by the rest of the church as the guy who really has it, you need all these things. <laughs> now, he's a little bit bound up. He can't do much with all those on him, can he? In fact, if he makes one wrong move, he might lose it all. If he messes up in one little way, stumbles in one little way, these things would just, I mean, they could just slide right off of there. Do you see what's happening here? And so the apostle Paul is coming to them and he's saying, look at your life with the law. You've sent yourself right back into bondage. 
You took yourself from being a free son to being a slave again. You took yourself from being free to serve God to being bound by the law again. He's saying, no, 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 no. None of that. Let me help you out here. None of that is going gonna, is gonna to help you. It's all going to hinder you. You can't serve God when you're doing all that. You can't really be, it's not going to give you any more acceptance with God. I mean, put all this stuff away. What you need to do is you need to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. In fact, if you'll go ahead and just put this under there, you got two hands to do whatever God wants you to do, whenever God wants you to do it, however God wants you to do it. You don't, if you got all those other things, that's just going to tie you up from being led by the Holy Spirit of God. But when you have Christ, and by the way, when you received Christ, you also received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who can convict you of the wrongness of these things. And the Holy Spirit is the one who, when you have one of these in your hands, the Holy Spirit kind of goes, what are you doing? And then you repent, you put it down, and you still have Christ. And Christ still is able to get that out of your life. And so he's saying, you've, when you've got Christ, and you've got the Holy Spirit with Christ, that means that in Christ you received everything you need to be accepted with God. In fact, because you have Christ you're already a son of God. I don't know that it gets better than being given the same name as Jesus Christ. <laughs> there, I don't think there's a better privilege and position than being the son of God. And so you're already a son. He sees your righteousness. And he, all, he see, or all he sees is the righteousness of Jesus Christ on your life. I mean, in Christ, you have every single thing you need to live for God and not be bound by all these things and not be bound by any of these things. You have everything you need in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul did is he taught the Galatians to avoid being plunged back into spiritual bondage by standing fast in the liberty wherewith Christ had made them free. So don't go back to holding all those things again. You're free in Christ. That was Paul's message to them. Now, what we need to do here, don't go away yet. What we need to do here is we need to make that trek from the ancient world to today. Because the reality is, is if, if I came to you with, circumcision that wouldn't apply to the vast majority of people in here tonight. If I came to you with dietary laws, that wouldn't make any sense to us, okay? Uh, we love bacon, and we love bacon-wrapped smokies and pork chops and all those things. We love those things. And so those don't translate into our day and time. And so what we need to do is we need to figure out what does this kind of thing mean for us? Well, certainly there are religions out there Every world religion says, do this, do that, do this, do that, and you'll rise to my level. That's what Buddha says. That's what Muhammad says. That's what the Hindu gods say, which you got to crawl across on your hands and knees in glass, and you'll be closer to God. That's what they all say. But there are also religions and denominations within the Christian realm who also preach a works-based salvation. That you, yes, Jesus is good. Yes, you need the gospel, but you also need the sacraments 
And you also need the rituals and you also need the traditions and, and you need to uh, pray to the rosary and you need to pray to Mary. And so it's got all these different things that, yes, Jesus is good. But if you really want to reach another level of spirituality, another level of closeness to God, then you need all these other things as well. We have that today for salvation. But again, that's not primarily the message that the Apostle Paul is preaching. The message that he is preaching is this. Anytime you think you need something other than Jesus Christ to give you more privileged and accepted position with God, you believe in a false gospel that plunges you into spiritual bondage. That's the message that he's dealing with. And so the issue at hand is thinking anything other than Christ makes you more acceptable to God. And so what are some modern examples of this? That yes, you, you need Christ. I'm glad that you have the gospel. That's so good. But then there might be some who would say, here we go again. There might be some who would say, I'm so glad that you got saved. But let me tell you about my spiritual experience. I had a dream. When you have a dream, that's when it gets real. I had this vision Oh man, you should, I saw, uh, this is more of a Colossians issue, but I, I was ascended up into the angels. You got to have a spiritual experience with angels. And they, they might say, let's see, what's the other thing that I got here? Oh, speaking in tongues. That's a big one. Speaking in tongues that, yes, you need to be saved, but you can't really talk to God without speaking in tongues. At least not really talking to God. There are others who would say, well, I got baptized. That makes me accepted with God, right? Or I'm a member on the church roll. That makes me accepted with God, right? There's this doctrine going around, I mean, rampant all over, especially American Christianity called Calvinism. It's this idea that God elected some to be saved and some not to be saved. And so if you were chosen by God to be saved, that's great for you. If you're not chosen by God, then he's sending you to hell. That's basically what the message is that the salvation is not for all people and that the atonement of Christ was not sufficient for all people, but only for a select few. Now, I'm not here to get into a big, long discussion about Calvinism. I would love to do that outside of a preaching time, but we just don't have time right now. But what I can tell you is in the debates that I've listened to, in the podcasts that I've listened to, in the friends that I went to college with that are in this doctrinal movement now, you know what it produces? a level of spiritual elitism. You'll hear them say things like, if only you could grasp the sovereignty of God. If only you could attain to this level of knowledge. I mean, I'm, I'm not even kidding. They wouldn't just come out and say it all flowerly and piously like that, but it's what they say. If only you could rise to my level of thinking on this. Then... There are some who would, uh, oh, we're going to get into this as we go through this study. A guy by the name of Rob Bell has written a book called Love Wins. It's a book that says, you know what, Jesus is great and everything, but the gospel has got to be better than that. He has a chapter titled that. The gospel is better than that. The idea that only those who trust and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior will be saved and spend eternity in heaven and everybody else that doesn't and rejects Jesus Christ will spend eternity in hell. What he says is, no, at the end, God's love is going to win out. 
everybody's going to be saved. Nobody's going to go to hell. Well, the reality is that's a false gospel. And the reality is if you're banking on the fact that in the end, God's love will win out and you'll go to heaven even if you don't receive Jesus Christ, you're trusting in something other than Jesus Christ. And then there's race or nationality. What are you talking about? It was going on then. Because I'm a Jew, I'm more accepted with God. Hey, there can, there can, this can go into every single race. You know, we automatically plunge to the white privilege issue, right? Because I'm white, I'm more accepted with God. But listen, you could be black, you could be Asian, you could be Jewish. That still happens today. They still have a lot of pride. You could be Hispanic. The reality is you could just say, you know what? Because I came from this background, I just had it a little bit easier. You know, I was able to find a little bit more favor with God. Or, or how about this? This goes really both ways. Somebody might say, well, I was brought up in church. Maybe you'll get there one day. Maybe you'll come to my level of understanding. Maybe you'll come to my list of standards, my, my means of separation and holiness. Maybe one day you'll reach to my level. But can I also say that as I've started ministry here in Boulder, that it can go the other way as well. That somebody can say, oh, because you grew up in church, you don't understand me. Because you didn't come out of my secular background, my cultish background, you don't understand me. I need to find somebody else who can uh, shine the light. On, on, and listen, I understand that that may be helpful, that may be true. But what I realize this is whether you're secular or whether you grew up in a Christian home, we all needed Jesus and he was the only way for all of us to be saved. But there are some who think that way. If only you knew the sin that I came from, you'd appreciate your salvation more. There can be that mindset out there. But this can also translate into the nitty gritty things of our own traditions, our own rules, our own regulations of Christianity. How about this? Bible reading. Well, I read my Bible through four times in a year. I don't really. <laughs> I am trying the whole Bible in 30 days this month, and boy, that takes a while. But there are some who could say, well, I, I read four times in a year. When's the last time you even read your Bible? <laughs> We're talking about spiritual things. And they can say, you won't attain to my level. Now, I understand this, that Bible reading, that'll help you grow closer to God. But if I read the Bible four times a year and he reads three verses a day, I'm no more accepted with God than he's accepted with God. Why? Because we both need a Christ. We both need a Christ. Because I pray for two hours a day. And you pray over your food. <laughs> I'm more accepted with God. Or spiritual performance as a means of acceptance rather than a means of service. I sing in the choir. We don't have a choir. I do in my mind. <laughs> I, I teach kids. I, 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 I watch in the nursery. I went out on outreach this week. I went invited 10 people to church this Sunday. But what can happen is, listen, serving God is great. I'm going to tell you, as our church grows, we're going to need people to serve in nurseries. We've got a baby coming here in just a few weeks. <laughs> We're going to need nursery workers. Eventually, we're going to need kids workers. We need more people involved in outreach. Serving God is a wonderful thing. But if you're looking to the service that you render to God as a means of greater acceptance with him, that is bondage, my friend. It's not our, listen, 
it's, it's not our righteous works that make us accepted with God. It's our acceptance with God that makes us do righteous works. There's a huge difference there. And so there are some that would look to spiritual service. I'm going to get to a little bit of meddling here. But a preacher who wears a tie while he's preaching. Now, I wear ties, obviously. But, but, and, and I've got reasons for that. But can I just say this, that I'll see on social media, this preacher lambasting this preacher because he doesn't wear a tie. And because this guy does wear a tie. And I don't care what you think about ties. The reality is, is to go off at other preachers who are not compromising their doctrine, their philosophy of ministry might be a little bit different, but they're operating biblically and they're seeing people saved by the droves. And a preacher over here who would be in a church like this, and I'm not saying I did this, I'm not saying I've got anybody in mind either, but I'm just saying a preacher from a small church who's wearing his suit, wearing his tie, but not reaching anybody can look at that preacher with this Dane and say, because I'm wearing a tie, I'm more acceptable with God. And it can go the other way. There can be a preacher over here that says, I don't wear ties because that's restrictive. Because that's legalistic to say, I have to wear a tie. All those preachers stuck in their old ways, wearing their old ties, listening to their old music. Hey, it goes both ways. What, I'm ta- what we're talking about and what the Apostle Paul is talking about is when we look at things that communicate that we are more accepted with God than others on the basis of things that are not necessarily set in stone in Scripture, that's bondage. The same thing can happen with ladies' dress as well. I know people on both sides of the aisle that there are some that say women ought always just to wear skirts and nothing else. And then there are others that say women should never wear skirts. And you've got it on both sides. All I'm saying is this, that if, if you're not careful, if you're of the persuasion that ladies should only wear skirts, if you're of the persuasion that ladies should never wear skirts, either way it is, what you can do is you can get to the place where you say, I'm more accepted with God because of the position that I hold. It's bondage. It's bondage. Checklist. Developing a checklist in your life. Well, I did that, did that, did that, did that. I'm accepted with God this week. But then the next week I did that. Oh, I missed a day of Bible reading. I'm less accepted with God. Hey, listen, that's bondage. That's not going to help you serve God any better. It's not going to help you enjoy the liberty and the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ. And so you've got, all these rules, all these regulations. And let me balance this by saying all rules and all regulations are not wrong. It's okay to have standards. We need to be holy people. The scripture does say, be ye holy for I am holy. It says, be holy in all manner of, of conversation. Every area of your life ought to, uh, ought to show a lost world that you belong to God, that you belong to Jesus Christ. But if we are so bound by our rules, our regulations, and our traditions that we can't follow the Holy Spirit's leading, this is where we live our lives. And what this book is going to teach us, and I'm so excited to go through it, what this book is going to teach us is, no, no, you don't need these things. You don't need any of these things. I'm going to try to take them all without dropping them all for the sake of time. But you know what? All you need is Jesus Christ. Because when you got Jesus Christ, 
You got the Holy Spirit. And so what that means is you don't need to, uh, you don't need to worry that because you've only got the gospel in your hand that you're going to use your other hand to go pick up the licentious culture. Because when you got Christ, you got the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will tell you that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Okay, well, Pastor Mark, if I don't have to keep all these laws, if I don't have to keep all these regulations, if I don't have to keep all these rules, then how do I avoid picking these up? What will keep me from living a licentious life? I invite you to look with me at chapter 5, verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And then he deals with bad relationships with people within the church. And so he gets to verse 16 and he says this, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What does that say? You've got Christ and in Christ you have the Holy Spirit. And if you'll live your life in the liberty of Jesus Christ and you'll walk in the spirit that he's given you, you're not gonna fulfill the lust of your flesh. And you'll be able to live in that liberty without having all these rules and all these regulations on your life. And so can I say this, that you have the Holy Spirit who can lead you to places God wants you to be. You have the Holy Spirit who can lead you into what is right and wrong, who can convict of sin and, and do that through the word of God. And can I say this as well, that while, while God gives you a pastor to offer counsel and help and accountability, the reality is it's not my position as a pastor to play the Holy Spirit in your life. Because what happens if I get to the, the place where I say, you know what, I don't think you should do this and I don't think you should do that. I can get to the place as a pastor where I think that my position as a pastor gives me more tune with God than what you have. There's a danger there. And so it's not my place to, to do that. In, in Christ, we have this thing called Christian liberty. And what that means is that we have a responsibility to allow for the fact that when things are not clearly spelled out in Scripture, the Spirit of God has liberty to lead this person this way and this person this way and this person this way. See, because here's the reality is the Holy Spirit may tell a person who struggles with lust that TV and Internet is errantly evil and you need to get rid of it. But there might be somebody else who doesn't struggle with lust. And it would be wrong for this person because that's their conviction to look at this person and say, you're evil because you have TV and Internet. And it goes the same for dress. It goes in the same time. All these different areas of life. Here's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. When you received the simple gospel, Christ forgave you of your sin, made you more accepted with God than you can ever fathom, gave you the greatest position you could have as a child of God, and also gave you the Holy Spirit. So you have in Christ everything you need, both for salvation and to live a life that pleases God. And here's where it depends on whether or not you walk in the spirit. If you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of your flesh. I'm not saying you won't be tempted, but I'm saying it'll be a lot harder to give in when you're walking in the spirit. See, Christ and Christ alone is the means of acceptance and position with God. And the reality is when you add anything 
to Christ, what you do is from holding him up here close to your heart, you bury him. And he goes underneath everything else in life. You diminish his glory and you diminish his sufficiency when you try to add anything to him. And so what this means is that full acceptance with God is only found by walking in the spirit as you live your life in the liberty of Christ. Christ came to be our savior. And those works of the law were meant to show us we can't live up. But Jesus came and he did live up. And because he did, he offers salvation by grace through faith in his death on the cross. And so if you've been holding on to your own righteous works for salvation, it'll not get you there. All you need is Christ. And if you've been living your life, you have Christ, but you've been trying to serve God and be more accepted in his sight by doing all these other things. The Apostle Paul says, that's bondage. So stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He says, if you have these things, what good does Christ do you? He came to get those things out of your life. And he came to get these things out of your life. So either way, whether you have these things or these things, you don't need them. All you need is Christ. So live your life in the liberty of Christ. Thank you. Why don't we stand and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for the liberty that we do have in our Lord Jesus Christ. That we don't have to look to rules, regulations, standards, and traditions to be accepted with God. We already fell short. And so there's no way that any of those things could give us acceptance with God. That's why Jesus came to break us free from self-righteousness and justification by the works of the law and trying to add other things to Jesus. No, he came to free us. And I pray that you'd help each of us to live in that liberty and help us to walk in the spirit so that we can live a life in our community that pleases God and is a good testimony of Jesus Christ. If we bind ourselves so much that we don't have liberty to follow the Spirit's leading, we've overstepped our bounds and sent ourselves into bondage. So help us, Father, to depend only on the Spirit and on our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.